I seriously feel like I'm a kid every day, uh, especially when I go to work. Work. <laughs> it's hard to qualify it as work because I, I seriously have that grin on my smile on my face every day when I push those throttles up and I feel those engines come to life and we take off. And same with landings. Um, I I just I, I have a very playful attitude, and I hope that comes across to people people who take life too seriously. You got to enjoy life. You have to enjoy life. This is for the others out there, the other ambitious people who want to play at a higher level in their life. It's time to get curious and get real. Join me and together, let's find the others. Hey, everybody, welcome back to another episode of Find the Others podcast. I am your host, Joshua Church. Grateful to have you with us. New episodes are dropping every Wednesday and Sunday, so be sure to hit the subscribe button so that you can get the notification when a new episode comes out. And give me a follow on Instagram at Joshua Dean Church to catch different clips and highlights that I post. Also, if you're enjoying the podcast, you find something that might be valuable, please be sure to share it with a friend who also might be into it so that together we can continue to grow our tribe of others. Today, I'm super pumped to bring you one of the most fun conversations I had with Shiraz Dalal. Shiraz is truly the most interesting man in the world. Much like the Dos Equis commercial, he has done an incredible amount of things. He's a constant adventurer and says he never wants to grow up. He goes from adventure to adventure and is always looking to push himself from wing walking on planes to free diving to climbing mountains to swimming with the great white sharks out of the cage. He also is truly living his dream as a pilot for a major airline and has no intent of slowing down. With a past experience in the military, he made the pivot to commercial flying and loves every minute of it. We talked all about the adventure mindset, some of his wild experiences and the mindset behind all of that, becoming a better person through challenges, living your dream, never quitting, and never growing up. You can follow Shiraz on Instagram at Imaginistic Travel. The link is in the show notes. And also Shiraz will be doing a TEDx in Raleigh, North Carolina in November. And you can check that out in the show notes as well. All right. Without further ado, let's welcome Shiraz. Shiraz, we got you live, man. Hello. So great to see you. What's up, Josh? How's it going, man? Uh, so good. So good. It's been a while since we connected and um, bummer we couldn't do this in person during one of your San Diego layovers, but glad that we've got the uh, the interwebs to help us out and, and do it regardless. Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm excited. Excited to sit down with you and your audience today, man. It's yeah, going to be great. Totally. It's so funny. Like when I, so when I started find the others podcast, you know, I, I just, I had this vision of just interviewing and having great conversations with just interesting people that are, you know, that have really taken life under their own terms and under the reins to, to live it according to themselves and to live fully. And as we started getting to know each other and talking more, I remember when we had lunch in San Diego, I was just like, I gotta get, this is, this is the reason why I created this podcast is to have interviews like this with Shiraz. Like you may be the most interesting man in the world, you know, those Dos Equis commercials. And I'm sure that's not the first time you've gotten that, but I'm really excited. That's my to goal in here. life, man. That's my goal in life. That's your goal. Tell me more about your goal in life. <laughs> 
as you said, to be the most interesting man you know, and uh, with that comes experiences. So I, I, it's hard for me to say no to experiences. I, I would like to think I've done a lot, but at the same time, there's so much more to do. Seven continents, all 50 states, driven through all 50 states, um, wing walking, skydiving, hang gliding, shark diving, <laughs> med, I, ballroom dancing, you know, just random stuff. But I like to do things to an experience level, not just one and done kind of thing, but yeah, absolutely do them and get involved in them. And uh, I just love life and experiencing life and finding others who love life as well. And I think that's why you and I gravitated towards each other so quickly yeah. because you have that same life. Uh, both did Kilimanjaro a few yep. years back. Yep. <laughs> and that's like an instant. We, we bond, brother. We know what each other's been through to get up that mountain. And it's, yeah. it's crazy when you find people like that. So. It, it Just really a pleasure is. to be here. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I feel like there's something, especially when you go through ex like shared experiences, when you go through something together, like even doing the yeah. si similar experiences, like when you meet someone who's also done something you've done, it instantly connects you. But then going through an experience together with somebody infinitely bonds you and brings you closer. Have you found that in your experiences as well? Absolutely. Absolutely. And, <clears throat> you know, a lot of, uh, the experience is I'm not one of those that waits around for other people. So I've had friends uh, say, oh, yeah, I want to go skydiving with you. And then Saturday morning comes and knock on their door and where are you? Oh, man, I had a bad night last night. Whatever. I'm just going to go and I'm, I'm not going to wait around. But then there's that one guy who's like, yeah, man, let's go skydiving. And I was the best man at his wedding a few years later. You, you know, so exactly what you're talking about when you share some of these extreme experiences sometimes. Um, but at the same time, I won't wait around for anyone. Yeah. You know, you're going to miss opportunities that way and you're going to constantly miss opportunities. So if you want to join, join and we're going to bond and it's going to be great. But if you don't, then, hey, man, I, I'm going to go live my life. That's right. I love that. And what do you think the through line? Because I mean, the and we're going to dive into the, some of the experiences. So don't don't you worry. But all these vast differences, you know, from like wing walking to swimming with sharks to free diving to whitewater rafting it being a I think are you a guide? Are you a whitewater rafter rafting guide or instructor? I am. I'm a whitewater rafting guide now in the mountains on the weekends. Un unbelievable. So like all these things that you take to a very deep level, like what, what do you think that the it's a diverse range of experiences what's the through line that ties those all together like how do you see those all relate to each other through your experience with it I really like pushing myself and and seeing what what you're capable of uh, David Goggins very popular uh, Navy SEAL guy he says when you've given everything you've got you've only actually given 40 percent well that's fascinating <laughs> uh, so what are we really capable of and this isn't only physical, like ultra marathons and stuff. This can be other things, uh, anything out of your realm, like learning how to free dive. I went from holding my breath for like 20 seconds, maybe to holding my breath for three minutes in just a weekend, just learning techniques. So 
constantly pushing yourself and what's next, what's next, even if you're, I'm, I'm not the biggest shooter in the world, like guns kind of thing. I, I mean, I've shot before, but I took a sniper course last year and I learned how to shoot at a thousand yards. Like mentally, that's, that's awesome. <laughs> so I just find random stuff. And I, I try, seriously, I try to be the most interesting man in the world, but that comes with pushing myself and constantly pushing and constantly learning and just a love of life. Truly, truly, I love being alive and pushing myself and discovering all these things. Cause if it's done before, there's nothing to say you can't do it too. So, yeah, that's, that's really great. It's uh, these experiences are accessible. Like, and I think that what, what I found as well, and what you're saying is that you can get to a pretty profound level of mastery. Like obviously real mastery will take lots and lots of time, but you can get the hang of something, most things quicker than you think that we put a lot of these boundaries of like, oh, I could never do that. I could never do that. I'm never going to be good enough to do that. But just a little bit of practice and really diving into it, you can see results. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, as I said, I, free diving was a great example. I went from 20 seconds being able to hold my breath 20 seconds underwater, 20, maybe 30 seconds underwater mm -hmm. to holding it three minutes in three days, just wow. learning the science and the techniques. And at the end of the weekend, maybe I, at the beginning, I could have maybe gone 20 feet. By the end of the weekend, I went 66 feet twice on one breath. Wow. And that's just, to me, that's mind blowing. That's one of the toughest things I've ever done mentally and physically. And some of you who have been free diving, you can definitely attest to that. But uh, yeah, it's, no kidding. it's just crazy. There's so many things out there to push ourselves. And yeah, you can either sit on the sidelines and watch others or you can go do it. I love it. So what do you enjoy most about pushing yourself and, and expanding those boundaries? Ah, <sighs> I, I like, that's a fascinating question. I like just becoming a better person. Mm. I think by finding, finding these unique experiences and not saying no pushes yourself and it makes you a better person. Uh, Kilimanjaro is a great example. Mm -hmm. I, I'm not really a hiker. I'm, I'm not someone, I wouldn't qualify myself as a hiker, a camper. I laughed at people who use trekking poles, <laughs> but right. I, I wanted success wasn't in the destination. Success was in the journey to get up Kilimanjaro. You know, altitude sickness can hit anyone, but I became a better person in those nine months training for Kilimanjaro than, than even standing on the top meant. Standing on top was an awesome feeling. Don't get me wrong. But I was fully aware that, hey, I may get altitude sickness at short of the summit and I may not make the summit, but. Mm -hmm. It's not like I I became a better person in that entire process. And that's really what I was excited about. So I never look at it as a failure on anything. If you've learned from it, it's not failing. So keep pushing yourself and it doesn't really matter at the end of the day then, you know? Yeah, totally. And, and I can relate very much so to the altitude sickness on Kilimanjaro specifically, because that hit me at that high camp when we were going up for the summit push and it rocked me and taking oh, each yeah. step forward was so it was so difficult. But the insight that I got when I got to the top was that there was like such a sense of fulfillment and such a sense of overcoming. And what I what my takeaway from that was that 
stagnation cannot exist when you challenge yourself. And I think that there's so many, and I'd love to get your thoughts on this, but I, I think that so many people are bored or feeling stagnant or get into just kind of a routine that keeps them pretty comfortable in the same loop. It's kind of like, I call it like the groundhog day, you know, loop that just kind of the same thing over yeah. and over again. And, and we feel stagnant. We like, we don't know what to do with ourselves. And, and that insight that I got from climbing Kilimanjaro was that if you challenge yourself in any way, mentally, physically, emotionally, you challenge yourself and you choose challenges that inspire you, then it, it cannot, stagnation cannot exist in that same space that you are pushing forward and challenging yourself. And, and that led to fulfillment for me. Oh man, I, I completely agree, especially with COVID. Like now people have an excuse to stagnate. Mm. They had the excuse to sit in their house and do nothing all day. And I'm totally not getting political or right. anything here, but some people have the excuse to sit at home and not go back to work right now because mm -hmm. they're making more on unemployment. And I'm not saying I blame them or anything, but you have that excuse. So now what are you going to do to overcome that? Otherwise, man, life, life isn't, it's, it's going to get harder. The longer you stagnate, the harder it will get for you because you have to come out of that at some point. You, you do. That's the life cycle. <laughs> you cannot stagnate so long. And now you have the excuse. If you don't bust through that quick, like as soon as COVID hit, uh, the one thing I was determined to do, something I'd never done in my life before, actually, was to wake up at 5 a.m. every day. Hmm. And I didn't know how long COVID was going to last. Five o'clock in the morning, I'm not a morning person at all, but I started building a business. I started doing all these other things and I forced myself not to stagnate. So, man, what you're saying is so true and even more so just in the past uh, year, year and a half that we've seen. It's a, it's a great point. It's a very, very great point. And it becomes you have to get creative with ways to challenge yourself and man shout out to the human spirit because the human spirit's resilient and gets creative and finds different ways but but that's so much of kind of what you're touching on earlier too about having people around you that are going to push you and help you and do challenges together like climb a mountain together you know sign up yeah. for a half marathon together you know do a 5 a.m wake up accountability together that's where the that's where the goodness lies Absolutely. Do podcasts together, man. Do podcasts is, together. It could be uncomfortable for some people. Absolutely. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. So uh, speaking about the experiences and for, for another minute here. So there's this there's this thing that I like to call like the the zoom out moment or the blue dot moment. And this happens to me whenever I'm doing a crazy travel expedition like when i found myself doing the gorilla trek in uganda after after climbing kilimanjaro we went down to the gorilla trek and and we're just like literally we're following this dude with a ak-47 and a machete as he's chopping down we're literally going through the jungle and we're in knee-deep mud completely covered in mud we've been trekking for eight miles tracking this pack of gorillas and then we finally come up on it and and i just had this moment of like a zoom out of like what am, where am I at in the world right now? What am I doing? Like, this is insane. This is so silly. Like it's a Tuesday afternoon or I don't even know what day it is. Let's say Tuesday afternoon. And I'm in this part of the African continent doing what I'm doing right now. It was like, hold up. It was like a zoom out. Like, whoa, this is pretty crazy. Have you, can you relate to that at all? Is there a specific like zoom out moment or I call blue dot because of when on, you know, on the maps, when you go to Google maps and you zoom all the way out, you see where your little blue dot is on the, on the map. Is there, is there a moment that comes to mind when you think about something like that? Man, as soon as you told me, said that story, I was like, wow, first of all, add that to the list. Yeah. Second yeah, of yeah. all, <laughs> absolutely. Um, there are those moments 
and it can be so simple sometimes it doesn't have to be mm-hmm. in the extremes um, watching a sunset from free fall has been definitely one um watching sunsets at certain times when the sun just goes below the horizon and chasing that green flash the the mysterious green flash if you've ever heard of it have and you seen people it spend is it their real entire lives watching i i don't know <laughs> i i think i've seen it once before but i don't know um wing walking i would say wing walking so wing walking was getting on a biplane going up Mm -hmm. in the biplane and then climbing to the top of the wing of the biplane. (laughs) And when you were on top, the plane did a loop, a barrel roll, and then what's called a hammerhead where it kind of wings over the top. And he did that twice. And then you crawl back in and then you go out onto the wing and you do the same thing. Well, the second time we were coming down through the loop and I was on top, like a fighter jet flew maybe 5,000 feet over our head. Wow. And I just take a moment of pause and I'm like, what the hell am I doing now? Keep in mind, I'm going like a hundred miles an hour and I'm going straight vertical before I'm about to flip over the top. I'm like, wow, this is just kind of in awe of the experience. And, you know, a lot of things I do shark diving and a lot of these adrenaline filled activities, people are like, Oh, you're an adrenaline junkie. It's actually the opposite. It's actually a very calming feeling. Um, when you're diving with sharks, great whites, and you're out of the cage, like you're looking at the great white and they're looking at you and there's a moment there. It's kind of a, um, it's a mutual understanding between you and the shark. They understand they can eat you and you understand that you can be eaten (laughs) and there's nothing you can do about it. But in that moment, there's peace and calm Mm. and there's truly that blue dot moment. So I, I totally feel you. And in different experiences, you get them in different ways. You Mm. just have to keep your eyes open enough to take that moment in and feel that experience for more than it's worth. And you'll get everything out of it. Yeah, it's it's a moment of surrender. I totally can relate to that. It's just like this. Well, here we are like this is it's a it's a total surrender surrender moment, which is which is interesting. I I was I wanted to ask you about the adrenaline junkie question. So that's your response to it. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, People say I'm adrenaline junkie. And honestly, I I recorded a video after I got down from the wing walking and and you see the there is nothing but pure adrenaline that (laughs) I've done some crazy things in my life. But wing walking is definitely top two or three, even more so than my first skydive. So, um, so hold on. So wing, I need to understand this wing walking thing. So you're literally, so you're going up in a plane, in a biplane, and I, then you get out of the plane and on, you, you step up onto the wing. So it's a biplane. Yeah. So it's got two wings, but right. there's a wing over your head. So you actually have to crawl out of the front cockpit and uh-huh. take the right steps to get up on top of the wing and on the there's a bar that you're leaning against okay. and actually you got to get up there and put a seat belt around you but the right. plane is flying when you're doing this so are you are you attached to anything before you get into the seat belt or no all you have is one safety line on you no parachute because if the parachute deploys in flight it's really bad for everyone yep. so you just have a a thin safety line mm-hmm. so part of the training is managing that safety line 
and knowing where it is and how long it is and how much you can pull it and where you should step mm -hmm. on the plane because it's a biplane, you could go through it. So you could go through the wing if you step in the wrong place. So this guy, this family, it's a husband and wife team, literally train 90 to 95% of the world's wing walkers. Wow. So when you see movies with wing walking or you mm. see music videos, Aerosmith comes to mind back in the day, uh, Alicia Silverstone wing walking kind of thing. But they trained the stuntmen or the actors and actresses. Uh, Tom Cruise, uh, I think one of the Mission Impossibles, mm -hmm. he's walking on a wing as well. So they've been a part of all of that. That's so cool. they're the best in the industry. So you trust them and you trust your training. And when they're ready to send you up, they'll send you up. And man, the experience, it is 100% adrenaline. I, I agree, but it's very calming. And just mm -hmm. like the shark diving and the skydiving, skydiving to me is a very calming experience. I think it's when you're in experiences where your entire moment is focused on you and saving your life, like skydiving, you're, you're killing yourself and you're saving your own life. If you think about it that way, but nothing matters. Your cell phone doesn't matter. What happened in the news doesn't matter. Nothing else matters except you and that moment. And I think there's, there's beauty and there's a, there's a purity in that. And so adrenaline, yeah, but I don't, I don't even really, the adrenaline isn't what attracts me anymore. It's those moments that attract me, your blue dot moments as well. Yeah, that's great. And, and I feel that you also have to, it, it forces you to stay calm amidst those life threatening, right? Your nervous system's going into fight or flight mode. You're like your whole body, every instinct is telling you to freak out and not do it. And you have to maintain, you have to reach a level of composure and of calm to, and maintain that to do any sort of tasks or operate anything in that state, like to actually go execute that wing walking and get up onto, onto the wing and buckle yourself in. Like you have to be calm when you, when you're releasing a parachute or making sure you're at the right altitude or, or spinning through the air, you've got to be calm so that you don't, otherwise you will freak out and you have to be calm to get out of that panic mode because everything in your, in your biological hardwiring is telling you to do the opposite. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And I definitely got, I got a story for that too. So I was on my second free dive, second time down to 66 feet and coming back up, I was about 20 feet coming to the surface and I look up at the surface and I'm done. I, I have no more air left and I am my, I'm toasted. And I look up at the surface and that last 20 feet in free diving is called the death zone. It's where all the deaths happen. Mm -hmm. It's where everything bad happens usually in that last 20 feet. Is that, and is, is that, that because moment, people misjudge it or is that because of the bends or what? It's not because they misjudge it. It's not because of the bends. It's that moment in those last 20 feet that people panic mm -hmm. and use up the rest of their oxygen. Any oxygen you had left, you panic and use it up. And at 20 feet, sure enough, here I go reaching for the surface. And I reach two, three times and I try to kick to try to get myself up faster, which you can do. You're already coming up as fast as you can. I just, there was a moment where I was like, stop. And I just stopped and I floated the rest of the way up. And if I hadn't stopped in that one moment, if I hadn't controlled myself, um, it could have been really bad. Now I came up, I, I ended up being hypoxic, lips were blue and everything like that, but I was still conscious. 
I didn't pass out or anything mm -hmm. like that. Uh, just a little hypoxic and there are recovery techniques for that as well. But just that moment right there where you're like, because breathing is <laughs> breathing is everything you can do without food. I, I fast for five, six days at a time. You know, you can do without stuff, but can you do without breathing? That's like on a whole different, different mm. Zen level, if you will. And free diving was, it really taught me that more so. Um, do you really need to breathe? And then controlling those impulses. And that's actually what I'm going to be talking about at TED Talk, kind of a fight or flight and how to navigate some of that stuff with a more of a uh, known system, if you mm. will. So I'm excited about that. Can't wait to hear that. So the free diving fascinates me too. I'm, I'm overdue to do a, a free diving expedition of some sorts and, and learning because of how much I love the breath work. I mean, you, you reminded me of, of it when we spoke many months ago. And oh, yeah. I, I know that it's like a lot of it is you have the oxygen. It's about your CO2 tolerance, right? It's about like becoming tolerant to the CO2 buildup in your, in your system. It is. And it's, uh, it's a lot about learning how to pack your lungs, which is an mm -hmm. interesting concept. Like you learn to what's called pack your lungs and get some more air into your lungs. And when you feel more air going into your lungs and just learning the science about how the body works, like I'm an, I'm an advanced scuba diver. I've been scuba diving years until I went free diving or uh, up on at the moment I was going free diving and it's completely different. Like scuba diving, you can control at what depth you are just with your breath. Experienced scuba divers know how to do that. Hmm. Now, free diving, as you go down, your lungs close in. And as you come up, your lungs open. There's no emergency scuba bottle at the bottom of the depth in because it's air that would burst your lungs if you're free diving. And then you had an emergency scuba bottle down there, for example. So they don't do that. You have to come back up. But just learning the science behind it and how much you can push your body and fighting those known urges, really controlling your mind. The, the thing that went through my head the entire weekend, there's that scene in the matrix in the first movie of the matrix uh, where he's teaching him Kung Fu. Mm -hmm. He's teaching Neil Kung Fu and he punches him and Neil's breathing hard. And he's like, is that really air you're breathing? And that phrase right there ran through my mind the entire weekend. It was like, do I really need to breathe? No. Do you really need to breathe? Or is it a want and a desire? Is it a muscle? Mm. And that was just fascinating to me. So the more you can talk CO2 stuff, and honestly, I've been a little removed from it, so I couldn't get into it that much. But just the mental challenge behind it. Um, and understanding and trusting your training and knowing there are people that go three and four, 500 feet, 500 feet and more. I think 800 is the record, but they went down on a sled and came up with a balloon. Like to me, that's mind blowing. So if someone can do that, I can surely hit 60 feet or a hundred feet. You know, I just got to learn how, just got to learn how to do it. And that's true with anything. You just got to learn how to do it. Get a coach, follow, follow someone that's done it before you. That's true in anything in life, a mentor, a coach, whatever. So brilliant. I love that. You've got me all you've got me sold on free diving now for all of those reasons and the <laughs> mental benefits. I've always loved it as a kid. Like I've always loved 
holding my breath in the pool and seeing if I could swim, how many laps I could go back right. and forth. Right. And you know, right. when you're swimming at the end, it's just like, I'm so close. And obviously you're right at the surface so you can come up, but it's just like, I can like, can I keep going? Can I, can I get there? Can I get there? And just like rele- relaxing into it, releasing into it. So it's an interesting, yeah. interesting thing. Man, out of everything I've done to date, that is the hardest physical and mental thing I've ever done in my entire life. And as you know, I've, I've, I've done a lot. I, I still qualify free diving as the hardest mentally, physically, and every emotionally even uh, experience you'll you'll get. So wow. it's pretty wonderful. Cool. Yeah. Well, I'm stoked to try that, and I will have to keep awesome. you updated on that. So I, I love. We've been talking about all these amazing ex- adventures and expeditions, and we have not yet ma- mentioned perhaps one of the coolest things that you do and about you, which is you're also an airline pilot and your past history of being a pilot also in the military. So tell me a little bit more about that. Let's dive into that conversation. Give me a little bit more backstory on, uh, on becoming a pilot, your dream job, right? This is your dream job. Absolutely, man. I was that five-year-old kid sitting at Raleigh Durham airport here down the road at the observation deck, just watching planes take off and land. And I was enamored then. And at four years old, if you can believe this, I wanted to be an astronaut or pilot. I never went through those phases of, oh, fireman, lawyer, doctor. No, I've, I, that's all I've known is I've always wanted to be an astronaut or a pilot. Second grade, Challenger blew up. And right before Challenger blew up, Challenger blew up January 28, 1986. The Thanksgiving before, um, the family went to Disney World and we saw the second night launch of the shuttle. Wow. Live. And that was my first shuttle launch. I've now seen six or seven. I've actually helped and participated in the shuttle program as well or helped with the the launches since. But to be there, like I was a second second grader and I was in love. And then Challenger blew up and I could tell you exactly where I was even though I was only in second grade. And I can tell you that as soon as I saw it blow up and everyone realized what had happened, I was like, I have to do this now, mm-hmm. which is so contrary to what some people think. Like you see an explosion and people die and you're like, oh, well, I'm not going to do that anymore. And I, I always remember being the exact opposite. I was like, I have to do this. I have to be a part of this program now. And seventh grade, I decided to go, I looked around for, hey, where are the most, um, most astronauts? Where do they go to school and stuff like that? And I found out it was the, Air, the academies, the Naval Academy, Air Force Academy. So I was like, yep, let's go to the Air Force Academy. So applied for the Air Force Academy. Didn't get in the first year, went to a prep school the first year, and then I blew my knee out um, mm. the second year, and then I finally got in. So on the third try, essentially, I got into the Air Force Academy, and I went to the Air Force Academy and graduated four years later in 2002. So 2001 happened my senior year right. at the Academy, and we're just on the anniversary of the Academy, or of uh, 9-11. And I remember where I was that day. I remember what I was doing. Uh, my sister also worked in the World Trade Center. Um, she was just running late for work that day. No Which way. is absolutely phenomenal. So my, my focus in life changed very drastically. And now we have this war called Afghanistan. And 
Operation Iraqi Freedom, Enduring Freedom, and all of that stuff. And so all I knew my entire military career was combat. I flew a few different planes for the Air Force, um, uh, a King Air type plane, a C-130 plane, C-130 is cargo, and then a KC-135, which is a refueling plane. So 10 deployments later, numerous flight time, about three or 4,000 hours, almost 4,000 hours flying for the Air Force. Um, 400 combat flights, just a career of flying, thankfully. And actually, when they told me I had to stop flying is about when the time I was like, yeah, okay, I'm, I'm, I may be done with this. <laughs> so it's time to come out to the civilian world. And I still was a reservist, so still I'm a reservist a little bit, but um, I, I tried, to, tried my hand getting hired by the airlines. And luckily I did by my dream airline. And now I've been flying First two years I flew 737s. Now I flew seven, now I fly 757s and 767s around the world. I'm a first officer, but next year I'm becoming a captain um, as a pretty young captain, but I'll be a captain in charge of the plane, taking it around the world. And I can't, I, I'm seriously a kid living a dream. Every day I kind of pinch myself. I have my blue dot moments every day because I'm still that kid after 8,000 flying hours that has that grin on his face when he pushes up the engines to take off. And same with landing, just I love the sound of the engines coming back and the reversers coming out and just landing a plane. And it's just amazing. When you think about 200 some people behind you that are depending on you doing your job perfectly every time, it's, it's pretty cool. Man, that is so cool. I got chills as you made multiple points as you uh, were sharing that. <laughs> I, I was I was going to ask too around, uh, you know, because we're now at the 20th anniversary of 9-11 here. I, I, was that a similar moment to like the, the Challenger explosion when you decided like, I need to do this even more now? Like it confirmed that path for you. Yeah. So I was a senior at the Air Force Academy. So we knew we were going to be officers in the military. But Got it. in 2001, not much was going on. I mean, there was still the Persian Gulf and people were regularly rotating over to the Persian Gulf and stuff like that. But there wasn't as much of a focus as it quickly became with 2001. And then I graduated a few months later. Um, and there's a focus. There's an intense focus. We are going to Afghanistan. We are going to take care of this country and we're going to do the job that we need to do. 20 years later, there hasn't been an attack on our soil, a big attack. So very thankful for that. So any veterans out there listening, I mean, I know a lot of people have been struggling the past few weeks with the drawdown. It's called retrograde in Afghanistan. But for everyone who's out there wondering why were we there in the first place, I, I just... I want you to understand that, hey, we've protected our homeland for 20 years. No matter what, there hasn't been another attack on our soil in 20 years. And for that, that's the reason why we're there. Mm. And thankfully, uh, as a thank you for me and my family uh, to all the veterans out there that have served as well, that's, that's the most important thing you got to remember. So I know you may be having a hard time with it. I know a few are out there, but just lean on that. And it'll mm. get you through a lot of this. Amazing. Thank you for sharing that, making that point. And thank you for, for your service as well. That's, that's definitely powerful yeah. and an important, an important perspective that doesn't get a whole lot of airtime. But 
I want to I want to ask you about going to the air. So it took three tries for you to get into the Air Force Academy. Yep. It 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 feels like it could have been very easy after the first try, certainly after the second try to be like, well, maybe I should try my hand at something else. So you were really determined. Did that ever enter your mind? Did that cross your mind? Or were you set on this being the path for you? I I, I was. And sometimes I don't know how to quit. <laughs> And that's later in life, I've learned to change directions a little bit better. But um, at that time, I didn't know how to quit. And I think when you focus in on something so much now, there are other ways I could have done it to get to the exact same point I'm at now. But at that time, I think I was just chasing, chasing it because I was told no. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, The first time right out of high school, I was asked to go to prep school because I was one of the top hundred people that just missed the cutoff. It was SAT verbal score. Two questions. I think I missed it by the minimums, you know, but they asked me to go to prep school. But in that prep school year, it was an army early commissioning program. So two years, you get your commission with the army, 18 years old, no military experience prior to that. Very impressionable. And I was learning the army way of doing things. We could play army as much as we want. And I did a lot and I learned so much about leadership, mainly about leadership, but then about the military way and all of that stuff, but mainly about leadership and how to treat people. And that's something the army and the Marines do so well, exceptionally well, best Mm -hmm. leadership lab I've still been into to date is that um, leadership lab. So actual application of leadership principles, not just teaching the leadership principles. And then between prep school ending and the academy starting, which is only a month, I was volunteering, helping out at my high school soccer camp here up the road in Wake Forest, North Carolina. And uh, I blew out my knee just helping out at soccer camp. I had an accident. I blew out my knee and I got to the academy and they said, nope, go home and uh, reapply if you want to come back. How Mm. how bad do you want it? How bad do you want it? And so fall semester, I took off, I, I had surgery that semester and then spring semester, I was like, well, okay, I got to wake up to a reality at some point here. What if I don't get into the academy? What am I going to do with my life? So I had to start coming up with backup plans that were legit backup plans. Um, So I went to Embry-Riddle in Daytona Beach. Now that's the top civilian aeronautical school in the country. Still is to this day. It's a great school. So I went there spring semester and I reapplied to the academy. And even when I was there, I got offered a full scholarship or an ROTC scholarship. So I could have still done the Air Force thing, Mm -hmm. but I guess I just didn't know how to quit at that time. Um, I even started skydiving there on a Mia that I was supposed to be rehabbing. That's where I started skydiving. And that changed my life. Skydiving just changed my life. And I wouldn't take that back for anything. Um, and then I got to the academy and I went. And Wonderful. everything happens for a reason. 9-11 was my senior year. Um, if it had been the year before and I was already an officer, my life would look completely different. So Why is that? Um, when 9-11 happened, I was helping out uh, as a senior. The seniors stepped up and helped out uh, in charge of security for about 2,000 people. Uh, really quickly. Uh, That was my role that I got put into, which was great. And then I guess the dust of 9-11 got to settle while I was still in training. Mm. 
mm. as opposed to me being over there. So who knows what those first few months would have been like if I was already deployable at the time. In actuality, my first deployment didn't come till 2004. So I'm finished all my training, mm -hmm. airplane training and flight training. And it just, everything happens for a reason. The dots always seem to connect when you turn around and look behind you. Is there, I, I love that. Is there any, is there any other experiences where you can say the same stories where you can say the same of looking back and seeing how those dots have connected for you? I would say the decision to leave active duty military came about six, six, seven years ago, actually, seven years ago. Um, it was a tough decision. I, I was the lifer. I was the 20, 30 year, wanted to dedicate my life to the military, become a general and do all of that stuff. And one day I woke up and decided this may not be the path I want to be on anymore for a bunch of reasons, but um, this may not be the path I want to be. In. And I was on, I was on a track to stay in. And I just decided, oh, I took a month to really think about it. What are my options going to be? What am I going to do for money? What am I going to do for food? What am I going to do for a job? How am I going to live? I, I went through a process where I decided all of that before I made the decision to leave. And then I came back, okay, Path A is secure. Path B is now secure. Which one do I want? So I can make it with a clear conscience and a clear head and truly where my heart was now that the technical stuff was worked out. And I think that benefited that. That was a month long process for me. But I finally made that decision to go. And it was a struggle even to get out. <laughs> I actually got denied leaving active duty the first time or two. And then finally it got approved. And seven months later, I left. Well, I met my wife, my now wife, like during that time frame, which I would have never happened. Mm. Uh, we got married a month later or so, and all of it happened very quickly. And I still didn't have the airline job. The airline job didn't even come for another year after that. But wow. now I look at my life and I wouldn't trade it for the world. Like everything about i love flying for the airlines i love the places i get to go to i'm going to iceland in a few days i've added countries i've added continents antarctica now i have the time to do all the things i i think in my heart i wanted to do mm -hmm. prior and now i actually have the time to do um antarctica was an amazing experience i did that a few months after kilimanjaro as a kind of a reward and that was 2019 that was right before COVID. So that should tell you the importance of not sitting on your dreams. Because if I had waited one more year to 2020 to do any of this, all of those plans would be just blown up with COVID and I wouldn't get to do any of it. So mm. you never know. You never know. Yeah, I love that, man. What what did you do down in Antarctica? Oh, <laughs> what didn't I do in Antarctica? We were kayaking every day. I jumped in the water. <sighs> I, I thought I knew what cold water was. <laughs> I know you're in a Wim Hof. And so you, you've experienced cold water. That water was 29 degrees. Wow. There was an iceberg beside the boat. Like yeah. a big yeah, iceberg. Yeah, yeah. Not, not something small. There's an iceberg. So you know it's cold. And oh, that took my breath away. But oh, yeah. slept on the ice one night. Um, you could just hear the seals snoring and the ice calving off the walls. 
And I saw so many penguins, thousands of pun. They stink, by the way. Penguins absolutely stink. <laughs> but hanging out with thousands of penguins every day and just saw a part of the world that not a lot of people get to see or experience, especially in the way I did. You know, mm-hmm. there are cruises down there, but you never leave the boat. Um, I got to really experience it kayaking every day, kayaking right beside an iceberg before it tumbled is, is unreal. You, if you want to feel how small you are in the world, mm. go to Antarctica. <laughs> I just love doing things that humble us, humble us as people in general. Um, I'm not, I'm, <laughs> you and I both, we're, we're humbled by the experiences we get to experience. And people are like, oh, man, that's so cool. And people are always propping up people who do adrenaline activities and all. But it's quite the opposite for us. It's very humbling experience. Sharks, great white sharks. There's nothing like swimming beside a 2,000-pound, 20-foot mama great white shark. There's nothing like it. And it's just, it's so humbling. It's so cool. Couldn't agree more. I I wonder why it's so why it feels so humbling. I think I mean for me all of those experiences and even like I'm I'm sure you uh, you've been to the Nor- you've seen the Northern Lights as well. I think I've seen a photo of you with the Northern Lights. But like even things like that, it's just uh, it, it reminds you that there's that there's like this 3D world that we live in. That there's this ecosystem, this sphere that we're spinning on that is our planet. And there's all of these things that are greater than us, these forces that are greater than us in such a tangible way. Like a lot of us, we can believe it, but in the day-to-day world, we're living in air condition with everything. We push a button, our car comes, we push another button, food comes to our door. Like we don't have to leave our couch. Everything is really catered for us. And we're, it, it feels like we're the dominant species in, in our world. And when you can experience kayaking by a massive iceberg before it tumbles or swimming with a great white shark or seeing the northern lights and it it quantifies a bit it it almost like tangibly embodies the fact that there's there's a whole lot more that's out of our control there's a whole lot more that is way more powerful than us and a whole lot that we just can't even understand and to just like taste it a little bit to experience that so moving so humbling that's such a great way to describe it josh man that's awesome Anything to add to that from how you see these experiences humble you? <sighs> you you nailed it on the head that there's such such a bigger world, and I fly oh, I fly over the world a lot of times, so I'm seeing these. I fly by hurricanes, some of these hurricanes this past season. Mm-hmm. I've flown by um, I, some, some of these, I have a, I get a different perspective of too, because I have actually hurricane Delta hit last year in Cancun. And I was fortunate enough to be one of the last airliners out. But the way I was, I was able to do that is because we had such a huge team, like a weather shop and this team of pilots and crew and just the guys on the ground and air traffic control have the technology and the insight that we actually flew in between the arms. We knew we had an hour and a half on the ground to load up the plane, turn around and fly out in between the arms of the hurricane. Wow. So this stuff is humbling. And then the human spirit to come together to accomplish is sometimes even more humbling. Like mm. the fact that I can swim with a great white shark. If you take a moment and think about that, like 
who figured this out? <laughs> who figured that? Oh yeah, let's go swim with great white sharks. Well, you're standing on the shoulders of giants who have figured this out and figured it out how to do it in a safe enough way that anyone can do it mm. if you just have the guts and take the opportunity. So it's humbling in so many ways, not only for the experience itself and the Northern Lights. People talk about the Northern Lights and actually that's why I'm one of the reasons why I'm going to Iceland again. But until you're on the ground and you hear and you feel the Northern Lights through your body, you you haven't experienced the Northern Lights like you may through a plane. Now, I've seen it numerous times through a plane, but I've also experienced it on the ground uh, north of Reykjavik in Iceland. Uh, I've seen them in Alaska as well. Um, but you're right. It's it's humbling in such a cool way. But then if you take in the whole experience, like, how did you get here? Wow. Freaking cool. <laughs> so there's on multiple levels. It, it's it's just so cool. Yeah. Um, you just got to keep your eyes open to get everything out of that moment that you can. And yep. I think your life will be so enhanced and experiences will come to you just like the opportunities. If you open your eyes, if you're chasing that feeling and you're chasing those experience, you won't worry about the adrenaline. You won't worry about people saying, no, you won't worry about any of mm-hmm. that stuff because you know what it feels like on the other end. Yeah. Kilimanjaro was an emotional time. I'm not an emotional guy. But on top, it got a little emotional, man. You, you know what it took sure to get did. up there. You know, It's like, wow, I, I went through a lot to get up here. And there's a lot of people supporting me to get up here as well. And you can never leave those people out. You know, your family, the time it took away to go train for that. If you're married or in a relationship or whatever, and if you're not, then there's still a lot of commitment that it takes to do something like that. So. It's, Absolutely. it's pretty cool. It, it certainly, certainly is. W- what advice do you have to somebody who wants to get into more of these different experiences or wants to broaden their horizons through learning new things? Don't say no. <laughs> don't don't be like, oh, I would never do something like that. Because as soon as you start using that language, you're not going to. And then you won't be cool like Joshua or (laughs) some of these other guys. You just, I don't care if it's out of your realm or not. Who thinks wing walking is natural? That's not natural, man. It's it's just not, but it's cool. (laughs) Swimming with sharks. Oh, I don't like sharks. They're going to eat me. Really? Do you know anything about it? You know, uh, one of my friends just posted swimming with crocodiles. I was like, ooh. Where can I do that? <laughs> so that may add that to the list too. And because I know where I can do that now. Uh, so that may be something coming up eventually too. Um, because a lot of people say no to things because they think they're dangerous. But if other people are doing it safely, then you can do it too. It's like, it's like bungee jumping. Bungee jumping is a great thing. Um, I've been bungee jumping a few times. Uh, in New Zealand, in the home of bungee jumping. That's where it all started. But bungee jumping, everyone's afraid. And you know what? First jump, I wasn't afraid. Second and third jump were a little different, a little, little more skeptical at the time. But then you look at your equipment, you look at the technology behind it. You're like, okay, 
you just trust the equipment. If a freak accidents happen, man, I know. But if you go because of a freak accident, then you have a cool story at least. <laughs> you know, but mm-hmm. trust trust your equipment, trust right. your training. And if you can focus on that stuff instead of the hair, you'll be fine. Uh, the second bungee jump was 450 feet, one of the tallest bungees in the world. Uh, that's a gut check. I got up there and I was a skydiver, 230 some jumps at that point. Um, and I'm up there without a parachute and just a harness on my legs. And I'm like, gut check time. This is real. And I still went. And then the third time, the third bungee was on the first commercial bungee in the world. And that was cool because I was like, oh, 99 feet. It's a, it's a water touch off of a bridge. I was like, not a problem. I just went 450 feet. A couple of days ago, I was like, I got this, not a big deal. So I sit down, the guy puts a towel around my legs, ties like some webbing, and then attaches a carabiner to it. I was like, where's my harness for my feet? He's like, no harness, dude, go. I was like, wait, what? And that added to the whole fear factor in itself, which was, it kind of gets your adrenaline going. But once again, you just come back to, hey, this guy's been doing this forever. I haven't had an accident. There's water below me. If anything, it slows me down and I go in, but uh, just kind of trust some of that stuff and don't say no to these experiences because they will make you a better person. Mm. No matter what, extreme experiences will make you a better person in different ways. You'll. I've never met someone that'll be like, I will never freaking do that again. I'm a worse person because of it. I've never met anyone like that, no matter what it is, skydiving, especially They're like, I can't believe I did that. My first skydive after I jumped the first time, which was in 98, nothing I can't do. I feel like there's nothing I can't do. And now that I've been free diving, that took it to a whole nother level. Now there's really nothing I can do. I fast for five and six days at times. I do extended fasting, not the intermittent stuff. Mm-hmm. And I just come back to, there's nothing I can't do. And when you feel like that, you take calculated risks. You don't take stupid risks. You take calculated ones. And I think that's an important distinction that comes with experience. People are like, why are you risking that? You've got a family and hope your life insurance policy is good. I've heard that a lot of times. Well, I don't take stupid risks. I take calculated ones and I live a better life because of it. Mm, so beautiful, beautifully said there's, we're, we're crazy, but not stupid. There's a difference between right. crazy and stupid, right? Maybe we're a little crazy, <laughs> but not stupid. And there is a difference Absolutely. in my opinion. Right? Absolutely. <laughs> no, that's Absolutely. that's great. And, and I like the idea of say yes, because from what I find is the opportunities are there if you're willing to say yes to them. And there's so much that you can do also that doesn't like doesn't require a lot of um, a lot of money investment or a lot of time or travel that you can just do in your backyard or wherever you live. There's different things you can learn in different places you can explore. But I think it's just adopting that explorer's mindset and starting to say yes to the new opportunities. Because once you start doing that, then there's going to be more and more new opportunities that come find you to say yes to. And it just constantly expands. The next thing you know, you're walking on the side of it, a wing of a plane, right? Yeah, absolutely. And man, I used to do competition ballroom dancing a few years ago. Like <laughs> that's not any of these categories right. of skydiving right. or anything like that, but it makes you a better person. It pushes you in different ways. It works on your balance, your coordination, got it all. But 
it makes you a better person. There's yeah. no experience that affects you negatively, really, right in this world. If, if you're willing to take the positives out of it and push forward. So, yep. Don't That's say amazing. no. I love that. Um, last question I want to ask you. You, I, I saw this somewhere, maybe on your bio or something like that. But you said you never want to grow up. What does that mean to you? <laughs> I am. I seriously feel like I'm a kid every day, uh, especially when I go to work. Work. <laughs> it's hard to qualify it as work because I, I seriously have that grin on my smile on my face every day when I push those throttles up and I feel those engines come to life and we take off and same with landings. Um, I, I just, I, I have a very playful attitude and I hope that comes across to people, people who take life too seriously. You got to enjoy life. You have to enjoy life. If you're not enjoying your life, what are you doing? Like seriously, you're you're wasting you're wasting time. You're wasting breath. You're wasting other people's time and resources as well. You you gotta enjoy life a little bit. So if that means taking a step back from work and some other stuff, then do it. Go do some of this stuff. Um, one of the biggest things is difference between Americans and Europeans. Uh, they have like months of vacation a year. Like it's unreal. We live to work, they work to live. And they take the time. When we were in Antarctica, there were most of the boat was Europeans that were on like a month or two sabbatical, just taking off time and traveling around South America. And they do that every year. And so if you're not taking some of that time for yourself, learn a new skill, have a hobby, you're just going through the motions every day, going to work, coming home and not getting anything out of it, I, I encourage you to really do some soul searching as you list, you're listening to this podcast for a reason. You truly are because you're looking for something. You're looking for inspiration maybe or something like that. And I hope you realize you don't have to continue living like that. You, you just don't. You don't have to grow up. Um, I can get serious at times. I, I've had a very serious job and serious roles at times. And like when I'm talking to passengers, you'll think I'm very serious. You won't see the guy that always am like lighthearted right now. You will sometimes because I love what I do. If you love what you do, you don't have to work a day in your life, as they say. And I, I truly love what I get to do. And that's not only flying because during COVID, we found out I wasn't flying for a few months. Okay but I still have a smile on my face. So beautiful. Wow, man. Well, I, I really appreciate you coming on and sharing this. Is there anything that you, uh, that you want to share with the, it sounds like that's a great, great last point there, but is there anything else that you want to share with the listeners as we wrap up? Yeah, man, uh, November 7th, I'm going to be sharing some of this perspective, uh, yep. Ted talk Raleigh. Uh, you can find it online, TEDx Raleigh. Uh, I think I gave you the webpage as well. I'll make sure to put it in the show notes uh, can, for sure. Cool. You can listen to it online. If you're in the North Carolina area, I encourage you to come. And I'm going to be talking a little bit more about a pilot's perspective on things and how to bring the pilot world and some of the concepts we use into your own life. Um, cool. How to handle crisis, how to move through some of these adventures. And if you like some of the adventures I've talked about, I'm going to bring be bringing some of those into the speech as well. Uh, not an adrenaline junkie, just know how to live my life and live it awesomely. I love it. Awesome. Well, Shiraz, thank you, man. You're an inspiration. I appreciate all you've done. 
And again, thank you for your service to our country and uh, and for the the joy and inspiration that you bring to everybody you interact with on a daily basis. So much love to you, brother. And uh, until next time in person. Appreciate you, man. Thanks.